Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Greg Ducharme, joined today by Mark Immelman, and, and we're going to keep it quick today for our our, uh, our our round one episode here. We have Mark Immelman, who is out there on the golf course. Mark, what'd you make of the first round action? Uh, well, the first round action was sensational. I, you know, with the golf course being different to what it normally plays in April, with no rye over the seat, I was looking forward to a place that was going to be, you know, all Bermuda, so you'd get some flyers. There's not much rough, but you'd you'd lose some control. The greens were a little firmer earlier in the week, and and the fairways were rolling out some. And when I woke up this morning and I went down to the side, the the, the sound, and I just sat there and had coffee. I was astounded because there was not a breath of wind and it was just idyllic out. And I was like, the morning field are going to have their way with this place. And I uh, switched on PGA to Live and lo and behold, guys are going nuts. And the morning field had the best of it. And then in the afternoon, we saw what, what, what Harbour Town can play like. The uh, wind got up to about 10 maybe 15 gusting once in a while out of the southeast. So there were some crosswinds and the golf course played solidly. And if you were not hitting the ball well, it was going to trip you up, which is what a good golf course should do. I mean, if you play well, the course should reward you. If you play badly, it should, you should get penalized. And, and, and we saw that this afternoon. And you had to play really well to break 70 this afternoon. So it was all in all a good day, I think. Um, and, and the guys who got to the leaderboard, they certainly didn't stumble there because this place, you'd better be putting the ball in play because peril waits around every turn. We definitely saw some mistakes made out there. We saw some doubles and triples. And, you know, I agree with you. I was taken aback watching at how light the wind was. I know you sent that video early this morning where it was, I mean, it looked like a pond out mm-hmm. there uh, on the sound. It, it was very, very cool to see. Very interesting. But it did look like the greens got a little firmer in the afternoon. It did look like there was a little bit of bounce in the greens. And it, it wasn't as easy as it you know as it looked when you look at this leaderboard and you mentioned the difference between how the morning played and how the afternoon played we have ian poulter at seven under along with uh, mark hubbard we have sebastian munoz victor hovland michael thompson webb simpson dylan fertility i mean there is a list ryan palmer and bryce garnett all players uh with 65 at six under par is there a round that sticks out to you as the round of the day considering the varying conditions well, I would give the upper hand right now if there was such a thing to the guys that did the six unders in the afternoon. Now, Webb played beautifully, missed a number of chances coming in. Uh, Dylan Fratelli uh, played well. Incidentally, I caught he caught up with me. I caught up with him, whatever you want to say, last week at Colonial. And I asked, how are you doing? Young South African who won at the John Deere last year. And he said, you know, Golf over the break was good. He shot 60 at his home course. He was feeling good. And then he gets to Colonial and the whole thing just wasn't there. 
but he didn't seem like he was concerned because he knew he was playing well. So lo and behold, yeah, he shows up with six under. That was a good round this afternoon. And then Ryan Palmer was the same thing. I mean, all of us on this podcast were buoyant about Palmer playing at his home course last week at Colonial. And almost incomprehensibly, he misses the cut. But that's golf, right? And then he shows up here at Hilton Edge, shoots a bogey-free around of 65, six under. And, and, and it's sort of what we were expecting last week. So right now, I would give the upper hand to those guys that did that round in the afternoon. But you know what? You've still got to go and play, even though you're out tomorrow morning. So uh, there's still a lot of golf left. But, but, but the guys this afternoon, that was some good playing. A player that played this morning, and I would say there's no question this was the nine of the day, at least. And that would be Mr. Jordan Spieth. Um, <laughs> and it wouldn't be the first cut if we didn't talk about him, especially uh-huh. when – he plays like he did today. This was a roller coaster and then some, uh, an extremely interesting day. He gets off to a fair start, pars at 10 and 11. And then on number 12, we get Jordan Spieth. Blows one out of bounds to the right. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there uh, during our radio show this morning watching Shot Tracker. I'm refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. I can't get enough of it. And all of a sudden, I see Jordan Spieth on his way to making a triple. And I'm thinking, here we go again. This is the same shot he hit at 14. I mean, within, mm-hmm. what, eight holes? He's hit two balls out of bounds to the right. And I'm, I'm shaking my head. I can't wait to talk with Mark about this tonight. That's what I'm thinking. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he fires off 29 on the back nine, a par at one, six birdies in a row, par at eight, and what else cap it off with a birdie at nine. I mean, what, what do you think of this? Are you able – to handle this viewing experience of watching Jordan. <laughs> Look, it's entertaining. Um, our Carl Porter, who we know is the chairman of the Jordan Speed fan club, you know, he, he, he made this quip on, on Twitter about things that will make him turn his head. And when, an announcer, when an announcer says to Phil, well, or says about Phil, well, I don't think he can pull the shot off or when Jordan Speed has got a driver in the hand. And, and, and that showed again today. I mean, Check it out. There's 151 players in the field who teed off in round one. Off the tee, Jordan Spieth is 142nd in strokes gained. Okay? Which just, yeah. uh, I mean, my, my mind boggles. And then on approach shot, he's first in the field. And then we know he's, it's bordering on sorcery around the greens with his skill with a wedge and the way he puts it. But he has a guy who could barely keep the ball in play off the tee, but he's leading an approach shot so the round just doesn't make any sense to me and it was like Jekyll and Hyde because on the front side he's back nine he's first nine he made a triple in the birdie and the rest of it was sort of scrappy pars but all of a sudden he turns around to the front side and it's he goes from like zero to hero but in the past he's done this here uh, we talked about it the year after the year that he won the masters he went on that whistle-stop tour to New York, did media everywhere, was on top of the Empire State Building, comes in here Wednesday morning, exhausted, worn out, does press, plays the Pro-Am, then goes out in 40 on the one side, I think, if memory serves, and then comes back in 29 on the other side, ends up finishing, I can't recall what it was, but he played pretty solidly for the week. Um, so he's done this sort of stuff before. But the thing is, um, he's just... You, 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 cannot, you cannot play with the two straightest face clubs in your bag not performing like they should. And that's being the putter and the driver. And then around a place like this, you can, you can navigate your way around the driver some. 
but when you get to a place where you're going to have to hit it, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. So there's still some ironing out to do, but this is Jordan and, and he's entertaining and that was a fantastic round. And I just look forward to, you know, when the breeze kicks up like it did at Colonial, how the whole thing works when there's some pressure up. That's a very interesting point. And I will give you credit, Mark. Uh, which we r- rarely do on the pod, it seems. Uh, you did say Jordan Spieth would play pretty well here, which uh, clearly, especially on uh, the, his second nine of the day, that clearly happened. I have concerns with Jordan still. And the concern is this. like when, and, and you know this, Mark. You work with a player, especially elite players, and it almost starts it, – it quite often starts with, well, what's the shot that you want to avoid hitting? What's the shot that you hate to hit? And when I look at Jordan Spieth's career, I see a shot to the right that tends to be the problem with irons and driver, but the driver is big time. We think of the shot at 12 at Augusta is the obvious one in 2016. You think of what happened at Birkdale in 2017. Um, and at Augusta in 2016, leading into the day, I mean, he almost hit the, he almost hit it out of bounds on four It hit a tree, comes back in play. He hits it right of the bunker on eight. He was hitting it right a number of occasions there. Another one, when he beat uh, Daniel Berger at the Travelers, where he held the bunker shot. His tee shot hit the it hit the trees on the right. It was going out of bounds. Hit catches a tree, comes down. He gets it in the bunker, holds it to win. So there's this shot in his bag, and I haven't seen a sign that it's ready to go. That that's out of his game, and I'm not sure it ever will be. And I, I just it always leaves me wondering. And I think this speaks partly to the entertainment of Jordan Spieth, but it's like he's got this shot in the bag that can come out at any time. And it, whether it does or doesn't, you don't know what he's going to do after that. Yeah. And it's, it just, it's fascinating to watch. But, I mean, he's got to have something going on. 15 of 18 greens, leading the field in strokes gain approach. I don't know. Do, do you think that has anything to do with what happened off the tees in bad positions, gains a lot? Uh, but then again, he's sitting it close. He makes six birdies in a row, uh, seven on the back nine. So I don't know what to make of him, but I have concerns. Well, I, you know what, you, you say he's got the right shot in the bag. I'm wondering, you know, having watched him play so often, that that right shot is not a response to a fear of, because when he hits a really bad one, it's sort of a top-spinning, diving left ball. And I saw a few of those in practice last week, and then all of a sudden, the reaction to that is this blow went out to this big blow right ball, because now he just doesn't want to see the fast left, because he hits a baby draw when he's on. But he tries to, he goes to the fade pretty often. But both that fast left and the high right are a function of the club getting just a little trapped and in behind him. And then he right. rolls those knuckles under and he gets the face he lofted for the hook. So it's a curious case. And, and I can't really put my finger on it. But I think deep down, he does have a fear of the left. He really does. And at a place like this, with such small greens, I mean, these things are barely more than 3,500 square feet on average. It sort of mitigates the iron game. And if you can really scramble around this place, you've got the leg up on folks. And so you put the ball in play, you hit some greens, you make some saves around these small greens, and you're on your way. And if he can just sort of somehow fit the ball into the fairways, then it's playing right into his wheelhouse. So so I'm I'm sort of of the opinion that if he carries this through and he has a finish where he honestly contends unlike last week where he was in the mix but it was by hook or by crook he was in there then he was out then he was back in then he was out if he hangs around and he plays well and he gains a bit of confidence out of it 
proving to himself that under pressure he survived, I think that is going to kick him on to some good performance later in the season. But if under pressure this Sunday he gets out and he starts whipping a few out of bounds and into houses and stuff, then it's going to be a long road to hoe because that's two weeks in a row where he's battled on Sunday when it really means something. Now, he keeps us entertained. So entertained that uh, we have to write prop questions about him. And so, mm-hmm. Mark, what if, what if I were to tell you uh, that you could win $1,000? What if I told you that you didn't even have to put any of your own cash at stake? You, there is a zero risk opportunity to win $1,000. I think everybody would sign up for that. Well, the good news is CBS Sports has you covered with our very old golf prop game. It's available at cbssports.com slash golf props. That's cbssports.com slash golf props. We'll have questions after every round. So uh, even after today, I mean, you still have three more opportunities and of course, as always, terms and conditions apply. Uh, one of the terms is what Rick, our very own Rick Gaiman writes the questions. And for round two, he wrote the question, how many fairways will Jordan Spieth hit? Seven or fewer, <laughs> eight to nine, nine to 11, or 12 or more. Each one of these questions comes with a, a little fact here. And we just spoke of it at great lengths. But the actual numbers say Jordan Spieth ranks 221st in driving accuracy, hitting 49%. What say you, Mark? Well, he hit 8 to 14 today. Um, <laughs> so I'm going just a whisker more than 7 because there are holes like 9, and um, I'm trying to think one's off the top of my head, where you just gear down and you basically fit an iron into the fairway. Right, so that's, 10 is like that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, 13. It's gonna, well, 10 sometimes plays into a quartering breeze, so you have to drive it. But, but there are situations that you're just going to sort of gear down, play defense into the fairway. So I'm going to go more than 50%. I, I like it. So um, when I'm looking at this question, I'm thinking of two things. One, you mentioned, Mark, wind picked up a little bit in the afternoon today. So that happens again tomorrow. It's probably there's, – there's there is a chance. I wouldn't say it's a great chance, but there's a chance that it's a little heavier winds than we had yesterday in the afternoon. And – what we saw with Jordan Spieth at Colonial when the wind picked up, all of a sudden they started getting a little risky. So I, I don't know what to make of this. Now, one thing is there's opportunities to throttle down, as you mentioned. So that puts me in the 9 to 11 category. But then there's the wind. There's the conditions. What's going to happen in the conditions? And that kind of makes me go down a little bit. But I'm going to go out on – I'm going to go right in the middle here. I'm going to go 9 to 11. I think he's going to hit 9 to 11 fairways tomorrow. But, boy – uh, Rick didn't do us any favors. That's a that's a tough question. Well, I'm I'm going eight. I think he's going to do the same thing tomorrow. And and speaking of these props bets, I mean, I was on HQ with Rick yesterday, where he the, one of the questions was, okay, overall under low score the day sixty three and a half, and he went sixty three, and I'm like, are you crazy? And, and and he just dodged that one. I went over. And then he went, there was a question high, uh, over and under, over or under, Justin Thomas shooting, shooting 67 and a half. He goes under. I'm like, you're nuts. And I went over. So I was right there. And then the question was, surprising guy to miss the cut. And I go Victor Hovland because he doesn't <laughs> chip very well. And then the dude shoots six under today. So I'm officially done with golf, man. I don't know how to bet this stuff. <laughs> These are hard. Well, what you got to do is ask Rick, and you got to listen to the First Cup podcast. That's where you get some True. information. Maybe not Mark, but listen to, listen to Rick, and I think you'll get some uh, 
some pretty good insight. But Mark, on the other side of the break here, we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, about the two. I would say the next two biggest stories, aside from Jordan Spieth, that's Bryson DeChambeau and Rory McIlroy. Uh, we're gonna get to that next, but first, let's take a break and hear a word from our partners. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And we're back on the First Cup podcast. Uh, it was a, a very interesting first round, and Mark, we were very fortunate to have you you and your brother on the coverage today, and you did a, a very nice job, so um, it's always a pleasure to listen. But the big stories of the day, they continue the same. They kind of carry over from last week. We'll start with Bryson DeChambeau. Um, it was, I would say, not as dominant off the tee as it's been. And as he said in his post-round interview, I didn't have a chance to unleash the Kraken. But he was still able to get in with 400 par 67. So <laughs> what, what did you think of uh, Bryson's performance? What do you think of his game at, at this uh, narrow Harbortown venue? Um, well, four is a good day. You do that four times this week, you're probably going to win. So, you know, he's doing the right things. He's playing well. He's backing up his plan. And more importantly, he is committed to his plan. And and the one thing, it's sort of one of those unwritten's. And you guys know me; I go there. Kyle will do the strokes gain metric. I'll do the strokes lost because you've nervous as rip and you can't take a proper breath. Um, the the one thing to key that is key to competition at the highest level is the ultimate conviction in what you're doing. In fact, I would, I'd rather you be committed about doing the wrong thing than unconvinced while you're doing the right thing. Jack Nicholas said, hey, I'd rather hit the wrong club with the right attitude than yeah. the right club with the wrong attitude. And Brasson is absolutely wholly in behind what he is doing. And he admitted, you know, I can't hit the Kraken as much as I would like down here. But when he does, he hits it hard. And in practice, he was bashing the thing over the net at the end of the range and leaving ball marks on the eighth green. So everyone was aggravated about that. But this is Bryson right now. This is who he is. And, and the, as, again, I think we, I've said this before, and I'll just say it again. My only question to what he's doing right now is when is the point of diminishing returns going to be met? Uh, when is the tipping point? Because right now, he's gaining strokes on the field every single time he plays off the tee. And, and, but now, then I also hear him say he wants to get to 270 pounds or whatever he is. I'm like, surely, but you're so good right now off the tee. Let's really tighten up the wedge game and make that weapon even stronger because you're turning it into birdies. So what if you get to 270, you can hit the thing 360 in the air. Is that going to make that much difference? That's my only question. But all that being said, Greg, I mean, the guys, I mean, the rubber is meeting the road and he is getting the results. He's done this throughout his entire career. He's done things most of the time for a majority of his career because of his age 
he hasn't been in the limelight, but he's done things that are unique. We talked about this last week. Like getting into college is a challenge for a guy. He's got one club, single club lengths. People think he's crazy, but it works, and he be, mm-hmm. ends up a national champion. Uh, he he does he he makes this move. People think he's crazy, but yet it's yielding great results. But he did say something I found very interesting in his post round interview, and uh, you probably didn't hear it because you were uh, probably leaving the coverage at the time. But he was asked why did you do this? Like, what, what, why, what led you to this moment? And he said, I got bored and I wanted to kind of spice something up. And it's almost, it's fascinating. He comes out on tour. He's got his philosophy. It's new. He's got the compass out on the greens. He's got all these knickknacks. There's some definite attention surrounding him and he wins five times. And then all of a sudden he kind of goes into a little bit of a, of a lull. And we're not hearing as much from Bryson. And the play is, I mean, it's not bad, but he's not winning at the same rate. Now, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, he comes out, he's got this new project, and he's yielding all these results. And he's the most talked about guy on the PGA Tour. Do you you worry about that at all? A guy that's always looking for a project? Or do you think that's just uh, part of uh, the key to who he is? And it's part of his key to success? Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good question. And I think it's the latter. You know, inquiring minds need to know. Yeah. And as long and and as long as like as an instructor, and I know you probably feel the same way, I've got no problem with an individual looking in down different roads. But have a peek, just satisfy your just your 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 inquiring nature. You know, curiosity killed the cat, but you should still be inquisitive. Like Hogan, he he crossed things off the list by trying different things on the range. But wherever you're going, still know where the goal is. So you can have a look here, have a look there, but don't go following roads all the time. I've seen too many pros do that where it's like, okay, I want to get better. So maybe I'll try this. And then they venture down that avenue entirely too long. And then the next thing on the way back, they're so far off who they are that they don't know where their sweet spot is. So the next thing, then they've crossed the road up again on the, and they're on the other side. And the next thing you've got an individual who's completely lost their identity. And the one thing about Bryson right now, he is, I mean, he's more Bryson DeChambeau now than what he was when he came out with the one length clubs that had nicknames. I mean, he is now the mad scientist he, and he is, everything that he does has got research about it. He's, he's still being true to who he is, no matter what he's trying. I tend to agree. I, I have this, I, I think what he's doing is crazy and it doesn't make sense, but I trust him. I trust his intellect and I, I have a hard time saying he's wrong because it's working so well. Now, mm-hmm. he continues, like, what's to say? He's a guy that's made changes and dramatic changes before, as we just mentioned. I don't see Bryson having a problem where he gets past that point of diminishing returns to scale back. I don't see, a, I don't see Bryson having a problem with losing all the weight that he's gained because he's bored again, and now I'm going to go back the other. I, I don't see that, so I, I don't really worry about that. It's just it's very interesting. To your point, um, there, there are a few guys, <laughs> the conversation came up on our air. It might have been last week or this week. They're kind of blurring somewhere. Uh, Frank Nobler, who's a deep thinker. I mean, this guy's a savant. Oh, yeah. He, he asked Nick Felder, so isn't it strange you've got Bryson who's picked up 30 pounds or whatever ever he is to improve, and then you have Gary Woodland who's dropped 20 pounds to improve, you know, both looking for the same goal, but both figuring out what they've got to do for success. 
Well, this week, I'm checking out the golf course Wednesday, and uh, JJ Sparner's out there, who's a heck of a golfer, and he's lost like 25 pounds. And I looked at him, I'm like, dude, you're looking great. How'd you do it? And he goes, well, I've been working out hard. He's like, I got off my rear end. I'm eating better. And he basically goes, I've just stopped eating all the rubbish I used to be eating. And I worked out. And I'm like, okay, here's the million dollar question. And I asked this to Woodland, the same thing. How does the golf swing feel? And JJ looked at me and he goes, it's different, man. He goes, the feels are different. He goes, I was swinging around my belly. The turn felt different. He goes, everything's changing. So it took a while for me to kind of get used to the, the sensations. Whereas Bryson, he's picked up all his weights and it looks like he hasn't missed a beat off the tee. That, 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 that to me is the most fascinating thing about this entire case study. I will say when he got on, when he, when he first came back after this, there was a couple of events he played on the European tour that didn't go very well. I'm wondering if that was kind of where he shook off the rust. And because of uh, the PGA Tour schedule that he's played, it's kind of it, it's looked like he didn't miss a beat. Where he really kind of had this practice trial on the European tour. But mm-hmm. hey, but but speaking of big old beefy Bryson, who we love talking about. This weekend on CBS, golf is back yet again. You can watch all your favorite golfers, including Bryson, compete at Harbortown in the RBC Heritage a few different ways. On your computer, yup. Just go to cbssports.com. On your phone, yeah, you can do that too for free. Download the CBS Sports app, and you're off and running watching big old beefy Bryson slap it around <laughs> Harbortown on your very, very small screen. You can also watch on your Roku like I do, your Fire TV, Apple TV, through the CBS Sports app, uh, on any of those devices. So basically, there's no excuse. Never, ever miss a chance to watch our guy, Sung J.M., on CBS this weekend. Um, Mark, one other big story we got to get into. I promise we keep this quick. So Mm -hmm. uh, we got to get moving here because producer Jacob has got something going on. He's got to get us out of here. But Rory McIlroy, I think I know your answer on this. Are we pushing the panic button? No. No, I don't think so. Um, he, he, to me, the, the one thing about this golf course, now if this was at a place where he could just swing free, then I'd have some issues. But this golf course can get you hemmed in very quickly. And it's a kind of place with these live oaks lining fairways and sort of pushing your eye lines in certain direction. And then you know the Pete Dye place. You know, he is visual deception everywhere with you know, railroad ties and bulkheads and, and long waist bunkers and stuff. So it can creep into the psyche very fast. And if you're playing well, these things narrow your focus. So it tightens up your target. But if you're doubtful, you will feel like you are closed in on and handcuffed in the biggest way. And Rory looked like there was no free swing to him at all. Um, he had a few drives that hung right. And then from there, he pulled a few iron shots. And so it, it was just very defensive. It was very um, uncommitted. There, there, there wasn't a whole lot of belief about what he was doing. Maybe it was a little carryover from the final round at Colonial where everyone expected him to shoot something in the mid-60s, but he shot a couple over par. So he's come to a place where it's not the most comfortable golf course for him in the world. I mean, he hasn't played yet. The last time he played here was in 2009. Yeah, well, he, he won didn't a PGA break, Tour event 
Yeah, and he, did, he hadn't, didn't break par that week. He shot a couple 71s, which is par, and a couple 72s. So it's not the most comfortable place in the world for him, so I'm not concerned. Um, he's out tomorrow afternoon. We'll be on him. So I, I'll get eyes on it so I can see. But right now, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to chalk this one up to Hilton Head and, and, and Harbour Town. I really am. I tend to agree, and it can happen if you've ever played a Pete Dye golf course. It's not always fun. Uh, and, and there are definitely some tricks out there. There are some uncomfortable shots by design, uh, which is, it, it's a, it's a brilliant design. So I definitely have my concerns about Rory. Um, you mentioned he's not quite able to free wheel, but I wonder if that means maybe he's not in the best form. And, and again, he's going to be fine long-term. Maybe it's this week. He has a bad week, but I, I really think travelers is a course that would suit him very, very well. Yeah, let's 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 really mine into this right now. And and I had a conversation with Rick Sessinghouse last night. Um, and he's Colin Marikawa's coach. And the one thing he and Colin do a lot is they debrief after every round, because it's easy for a golfer and certainly a golf instructor, you and me both, to pin the issues on a faulty golf swing. But that in truth is sort of intellectually lazy a little bit. And so Rick, what he does with Colin is they really do the deep dive on everything. And they say, well, were you completely committed on that golf shot? Or was there a situation there maybe into the wind left to right, which is uncomfortable for you and you just missed a shot. It wasn't the failure of the golf swing. Now you look at McElroy and he came out early, played the back nine, makes a bogey on 11, which is easy to do. Um, then he bogeys the par five 15th, which is one of the tightest tee shots in the game. Then he bogeys 18, which is also easy to do. But then he turns around, doesn't play his best, and goes bogey free with two birdies on the back nine to get in with 72 and one over par. Now, that's low round around this place is 71. And then if you look at the numbers, he gained strokes off the tee, about a quarter stroke. He lost strokes on approach. And then around the greens, he wasn't so sharp. So the weapon is still there with the driver, I think he just needs to iron out the approach shots, find a few greens, and, and you make one or two birdies, and I think he'll be uh, right back in the saddle. Yeah, it's still, we're still at the point here where it's one round. We had one round last week, which, again, wasn't even a, a round. It was nine holes. And this week, there's a bad nine holes. There's nothing that says Rory can't take a, a three over par nine, the first nine of the tournament, and come back from that. I mean, if he puts together a couple of nice nines tomorrow, he, he could definitely get it done. The problem is he did it in the morning. So it gives me a little bit of concern for this week. It doesn't give me concern long-term. Again, like I said, Mark, I, I, really, think, uh, I really think the Travelers is going to be a good venue for him. And I think you're going to see a Rory McIlroy contend at the Travelers. Um, but this week, it, it doesn't feel like it's, like it's Rory's week. Just for the record, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Look, is it likely? Everything points to the fact that it's unlikely right now. But ordinarily, if you shoot around 12 under par around this place, you're in with a shot. You know, that's if you do four rounds of three under, you're, you're in good shape. He's one over, three rounds left. You get a bit busy. Last week was the same thing. He was kind of rough around the edges in round one. Then he goes out the following day and shoots 63. Granted, it was in the morning, but look, this, this week is not beyond the realm of possibility at all. Is it likely? Who knows? McElroy, with all the, power power he ha the fire power he has, it's highly possible. You know, it's, it, the thing about Rory is he's one of those players who can turn it on in the blink of an eye. 
because he is so dominant off the tee. And everyone will say, and the strokes gain metric have proved that if you drive the ball well, you have the upper hand on people. Yes, we're seeing that with Bryson. But you've got to turn that into birdies with good wedges and putts. I have a feeling he'll do that tomorrow. Mark, thank you as always for your insight. Great job out on the golf course today. Great job here with us tonight. Uh, We look forward to hearing your coverage tomorrow. And if you love golf, check out CBS Sports HQ. They're live throughout the day with leaderboard updates, highlights, and, of course, live look-ins. Word on the street is that Rick Gaiman will dish out some last-minute picks and props as well, so you definitely want to check that out. Uh, I know I'll be there watching as well all weekend long. Mark, thanks again for joining. That's Mark Immelman. You can get him on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. You can get me on Twitter at TheRealGFD. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.